You're listening to There Ought to Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. All right. Hello, listeners. This Good week- morning. <laughs> Again, Fred, we don't know when people are listening to this, but yeah, you're right. Good morning. Uh, this week, we have a special guest, Beth Brooks. She is the co-chair of Verity Now. Uh, she is the retired global vice chair of public policy at EY, also known as formerly known as Erston Young. Uh, she was a member of the firm's global executive board. She is on the board of the New York Times, on the board of the U.S. Olympic Committee and Paralympic Committee. Uh, and so she's the co-chair of Verity Now, which stands for Vehicle Equity Rules and Transportation. So, Brooke, uh, Beth, sorry, Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad <laughs> to be here. So if you could just give listeners a kind of a, a brief overview of what exactly Verity Now does and the issues you work on. Yeah, we are um, advocating for equity in the safety standards for vehicle safety, essentially. Um, what is not known, and I, and the reason I got involved, honestly, with my co-chair, Susan, former Congresswoman Susan Molinari, was when I walk into a car dealership, I assume that the car is designed with my safety in mind uh, as a woman, just as it would be designed with my brother's safety in mind. Um, and when I learned that that was not the case, that the car is designed uh, to adhere to safety standards that are only designed for my brother and not for me. Um, I wanted to get involved because I don't think it's well known. Uh, and the issue's been around for a very, very long time. And we've made so much progress. My entire career been very much an advocate for uh, gender equity. And this was a, a glaring example where we are uh, we are not equitable as as women when it comes to the safety of the cars that we drive. I under the same assumption that you know crash test dummy is a crash test dummy and that it would work. I'd never the the issue of gender or even size disparity. I didn't even imagine this was a thing until talking to Michael and Fred all the time discussing or discovering learning that the crash test dummies for a fifty percent male is that right? Like the well, average. Yeah, it, what's what's amazing? Well, and and a statistic to just support what I previously said is. And why would I care about this issue is because women, if we get involved in a car crash, we are 17% more likely to die and 73% more likely to be severely injured than a, than a man. So this is an issue we care about. Your question about the, the, the crash test dummy, I mean, they came, when did they come into being? They, the first crash test dummy for which cars are designed to test safety against came into being in 1976. It was the first dummy. It was a 172-pound 5'9 male uh, called the Hybrid 3. You know, 20 years later, they 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 kind of came up with a female dummy, in quotes, because the female dummy is just a mini male. It's the scale, it's a less weight version, a shorter version of a male dummy, but it doesn't resemble the physiological differences of a woman. Um, when, uh, when women are injured, it tends to be because we have different, different skeletal structures, bone, uh, excuse me, neck, especially, um, chest, ankles, legs, much, we sit closer to the steering wheel, uh, you know, a lot of times because we are shorter. So those, those injury statistics, 73% more likely to be injured just screams for, the safety standards to you to to want to test for for women. The other thing, Anthony, that I think is stunning is that in 1976, when we had that first dummy, that dummy was used to test in the driver's seat. Right today, what are how many years later and decades later, we still don't test even this mini male, the the quote female, the mini male still isn't tested in the driver's seat. As if women do not drive, I, it, it it is the safety standards are simply archaic at this point. That's really upsetting to me, considering that I think I fit the 
physiological framework of the 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 female dummy they currently use. I am the mini male version. Uh, <laughs> but you have a male skeletal structure, <laughs> right. so it's a little better for you. Yeah, I guess. But I, you know, I mean, as you're saying that, you know, women sit closer to the steering wheel. So I had a friend of mine who's a guy who's six two the other day borrow my car and i get into it and i'm like uh, trying to reach for the steering wheel and realizing oh yeah i'm sitting much closer to it than he is and and i was just having a little thought of if the airbag goes off for him he gets like an extra i don't know couple milliseconds before the thing to fully deploy with me it's i'm getting knocked out right away um and so this is not so that's just my problem is okay as a, as a smaller sized man um but there's been no kind of push from uh, NHTSA or or I, I know the auto manufacturers are not saying, yes, let's add more testing to make our vehicles even more safe. But is this or is your organization, is this the first one really highlighting this issue and pushing things forward? Yes, I think so. Uh, and because this is just not a well understood issue now. Why now? Well, you know, for back in 1976, there there wasn't another dummy, but but there is now. There is a a biofidelic dummy that has sensors and things that resemble the female body and can can sense to that. It's called the the Thor Fifth, and it's now available. And in fact, it's starting to be used in Europe and um, is on a path toward usage in Europe. And NHTSA just continues to want to research this issue when the statistics are extraordinarily clear that um, now let me be clear is is this biofidelic dummy perfect well of course not you know but but it is it is certainly better than the mini male <laughs> and and to your point about why would the you know is there a downside uh, it it would add um, based on estimates only less than a dollar to the cost of a car so you can't argue that this was going to be a huge cost burden. Um, and so I just keep coming back to why not? Why not put it into use? So we, we've had, you know, gosh, 45, over 45 years since the hybrid three was introduced. The the five percent female dummy or the, the Anthony dummy, as we're going to call it now. Wait a is, second. It was only introduced, it wasn't introduced to create parity between women, men and women in car crashes. It was actually put into play because airbags were deploying too aggressively and killing small children and women. So it wasn't as though NHTSA decided to do that to increase protection for female bodies. They did it because airbags were killing people and they needed to find a solution. Exactly. Um, and so NHTSA has continually resisted, some, you know, putting better dummies into play for, for female bodies, putting better dummies into play for seniors who whose muscular and skeletal mass changes significantly over time. And um, really looking into areas where there are significant differences in crash outcomes between gender. And one of them that I think of all the time, because I've seen so many just terrifying statistics on it are lower leg injuries in women and crashes are literally sky high through the roof when you compare them to, to males. And there's some serious problems that should be addressed, but NHTSA continues to, in its in its regulatory structure and its rules, doesn't really get into this problem. And in the end cap, where you're having a lot of really good impact on and incentivizing manufacturers to make cars better, and you're seeing basically a male driver in the front seat in every test. And so to get five stars, manufacturers have to design their vehicles, you know, for 40 plus years now based on the results they're getting from a male driver in the front passenger seat. So um, when you do that, I think necessarily you're going to leave out, you know, the, the, the bigger people, the smaller people, the older people and male and female are going to, you know, we're going to have problems there. Um, and so that's really the path we've been on for the past 50 years. And there are a lot of changes that need to be made. And that's, there's a lot of, you know, 
there's new injury criteria and things that need to be developed that focus specifically on different bodies. Um, and none of that's been done at the, at the federal level. And it's something that I'm sure manufacturers don't like because it makes it, you know, it, it does create more complications, more things they need to do more boxes. They need to check before they sell these vehicles. But once you have the system in place that can, you know, ensure that vehicles really are a, you know, kind of a one size fits all proposition versus what they are now, which is designed really to pass crash tests where there's a male in the driver's seat. Um, until you see that, I don't, I, we're, we're going to, you know, I think that Verity now is a really strong voice and a needed voice in this area um, because it's, just an area where the DOT has moved incredibly slowly. Well, there's a growing consensus, you know, that 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 this is an issue to your point. And, you know, we we have made, I think, substantial progress in bringing attention to this. We've got congressional allies, um, you know, 66, you know, Congress representatives and senators signed on a letter uh, to the department in support. Uh, in the most recent 2024 appropriations uh, reports and bills, um, both the House and the Senate have called for a timeline and a roadmap for the adoption of the newer technology, the newer crash test dummy technology. The secretary himself, I give Secretary Buttigieg credit, you know, he's publicly stated his commitment to equal testing um, and saying that gender disparities are just simply unacceptable. Um, but it's NHTSA, it's NHTSA that just wants to keep researching and keep testing. And, um, and I think what we need is a timeline, a fast timeline and a roadmap for when the newer technology will be adopted. You know, one of the arguments I hear uh, against this is that newer cars are safer. You know, like as we get newer and newer cars, they get safer and safer and safer. Well, sure, that's right. Um, women are still dying, uh, you know, 73% more likely, even with the safer cars. And, and, and the, the enhancements in safety with new cars has dropped the fatality rate. And, but the fatality risk for men fell at twice the rate of the fatality risk for women. So there is just still a, a glaring problem. And when you, you look at more studies, it's the, the types of car. There's also, um, uh, you know, an organization that that I, IIHS looked at this and said, well, you know, women buy smaller cars, therefore they're getting more severely injured. Well, you just take me down a rabbit hole on that one. Um, let's look at the economic disparity between what women and men earn. Um, why do women drive smaller cars? Perhaps they can't afford them and then they get injured and then they, you know, and it's, it's like a vicious circular cycle. So that, that dog doesn't hunt very well. Um, you know, uh, I found it almost comical that the, uh, the report sort of concluded that we need to fix the men. The men drive more recklessly. They drive bigger cars. The men are doing the striking and the women are getting struck. And therefore, the solution should be, let's fix the men, um, which versus let's just use a female crash test dummy and let's make the car safer for women. Uh, and, and in fact, how about we just do both? Let's let's try to yeah. men be better drivers, but let's also design the safety standards to protect a woman. We should do both. Yeah. And number two sounds a lot easier than fixing men, honestly. <laughs> well, you know, you just recall any moment when you're driving down the highway and who's zipping around you in a pickup truck. And it's it's, you know, yeah, yeah. it is. And one of the things I was going to say, too, is NCAP is, you know, there are two sides of NHTSA crash tests, you know, and they do tests for regulatory purposes and certification and those rulemakings take a long time decades sometimes unfortunately but NCAP was set up you know by our good friend Joan Claybrook a long time ago to be able to change rapidly to different safety needs that we see in the marketplace they could pop a female dummy, you know they could have popped the five percent female dummy in the driver's seat 20 years ago and they haven't done that. 
Um, yes, it takes some time to get new dummies into NHTSA's certification system, but there's nothing stopping NCAP from doing testing with some of the newer dummies, some of the dummies that are meant to um, account for the different skeletal and muscular differences in men and women. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. The people who are resisting that entire operation are the manufacturers because they love the fact that NCAP right now is giving, you know, 80 to 90% of them four and five stars on everything they put out on the market because all they have to do is design vehicles that meet those tests. When you start moving different dummies to different seats right now, we're also trying to get a little more parity between rear seats and front seat safety. That's when the objections start flowing in and and NHTSA needs to stand on its own two feet and not worry about hurting the manufacturer's feelings in their testing program and really make NCAP useful to consumers. You know, we just do not see enough one, two and three stars in that program to allow anyone to discriminate between the safety of vehicles, much less at a point where, you know, one of the things we wanted to get into the NCAP 10 years ago was a silver star system that would rate vehicles based on, you know, how they performed with seniors. Maybe we should get, you know, blue and pink stars for, you know, how they perform with men and women, at least get the data out there so that consumers can make decisions, you know, so that you could buy a vehicle that's built and performs better for women if you're a woman and, well, and and at least give people the option right now we don't even have that option with the federal crash testing program yeah to your point michael i mean it's one of the reason verity now exists is to try to draw attention to the issue um at you know consumers you know they will vote with their you know they will vote with their wallets <laughs> and the more they know about this issue and as you said, they do rely on the NCAP five-star safety ratings. They just don't understand that those NCAP five-star safety ratings aren't designed to protect women. But as I said at the outset, you know, Europe and some other countries are moving ahead of the U.S. And so when cars, you know, are designed that are safer, um, you know, the more we can draw attention to this, you know, we can also help the consumer um, understand that NCAP is 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 flawed right now when it comes to women, um, and I think I think that's important. You know, NHTSA is I, to their credit. I will tell you, they're starting to acknowledge the issue. Uh, with they just um, put out a, a, you know calling for information about pedestrian safety. Right. And it was interesting that in their look at, at pedestrian safety, they have started to acknowledge that there are women walking as well as men walking, and they've called for data to help inform, um, you know, crashes and the safety of, of women as pedestrians. That at least is a, is a signal that they acknowledge there is an issue, there are physiological differences, and they have to be taken into account. So I think that's a, a good sign. Uh, you know, the, the GAO, um, you know, has has put out a report that has put this issue into the spotlight. And we're hoping that NHTSA will have to respond to that GAO report, um, hopefully sometime in September. So that will be coming soon. Uh, and, you know, NHTSA will be held to account. I just want to jump in for with a quick thought. There, there's another dimension to this as well, which is that the hybrid three uh, dummies are pretty old technology. And what we know is that the results that they're getting from the tests that they do are, are very sensitive to the details of how the straps are placed on a dummy, um, how the instrumentation relates to the restraints. There's only one sensor, for example, in the chest of the standard ATDs in the Hybrid 3 model. Um, the more advanced models, like the Thor, have many more sensors, more distributed more distributed points, and we'll get a much more realistic appraisal of the consequences of a crash than the hybrid three. So uh, just to point out that, yes, it's a big step to get representative ATDs into the vehicles at all, but it should also not escape people's scrutiny that we can do better than technology that it was put into these things 25 years ago. Much better technology available now. <clears throat> much better ways of understanding what the consequences of impacts are going to be. Absolutely. And it's not that the technology is perfect, but it is 
far, far, far better. And it'll continue to evolve. So the different injuries you're talking about in terms of uh, women versus men, so women will get more neck injuries, ankle injuries. So the changes that would happen to happen to have to happen, would these be settings that people get into a car and be like, oh, I this is how I, I'm I'm a male. So it would be like changing the angle height versus a female. I'm changing this. Or would this be more of what we have today, which is a one size fits all safety area, just better? That that's outside my pay grade, you know. Okay. I try to delve into the engineer world. <laughs> okay. Well, that's right but, in but, my but, that's right in my wheelhouse. So let me let me just address okay. that. Okay. Good. Cars are built with a crumple zone in the front, which sounds benign and they crumple. But what what actually happens is that they're designed so that when they're hit in the front with a lot of uh, a lot of impact energy, the engine comes loose from its mounts and it dives under the floor pan of the of the vehicle so that it doesn't come into the uh passenger compartment when it does that of course it crushes the floor pan so the floor pan then expands towards the area where legs are kept and uh you know that's a that's a very characteristic consequence of a heavy crash so those those details of exactly how the crumple zone is designed where the energy goes where the parts go after the crash are probably a, a huge factor in the lower leg injuries that predominate in you know when women and smaller people are in the front seat. There just isn't as much room for the you know all that stuff to come together and not hurt the people's legs and ankles that are in that same space that the engine wants to occupy. And now we have even have you know vehicles with frunks that don't have an engine where in electric vehicles where they're, I mean, I, we're having to think about completely different means of crumpling. Um, I, I'm not sure if the data is there yet on whether we're seeing the same types of injuries in vehicles that don't have uh, internal combustion engine in front of the driver or not. That'll be interesting. That would be interesting data to look at. Okay. So what, what are kind of the, the next challenges for the future? Okay. Well, there's a better dummy design. Is it as simple as getting either the manufacturers to adopt this or NHTSA, or is it both? Or is it to, you know, because uh, the auto manufacturers have been historically been an old boys club and, and now the head of GM, you know, she's a woman. Is she addressing this issue? Like realizing, wait a second, I'm the first female uh, auto executive here. Uh, let's focus on people like me. Or am I just naive? <laughs> well, there, there's no legal, no legal authority needed, which is what's interesting. Even though, you know, we've made great progress and we've got tons of congressional allies and they're calling for this from NHTSA. The GAO's called for it. Secretary Buttigieg has weighed in to, in support. Like there's no legal authority needed. NHTSA just needs to commit to a fast timeline for an equal number of tests for men and women and an equal nature of tests. And when I say nature of tests, I mean, put the biofidelic female, the Thor fifth in the driver's seat for frontal test and side, side impact drivers um, and use these biofidelic and advanced dummies. The rulemaking is still open, so it could be done and it can be done with the stroke of a pen. Um, so there's no legislation needed. So who needs to, use their pen to make that stroke NHTSA. NHTSA. Mm. unfortunately NHTSA. um and NHTSA. you know what i i will say one thing congress could do NHTSA has the authority to do everything now one thing congress could really do to help here is to give NHTSA more money to work with we've talked about that many times about the comparison between NHTSA's budget and the faa um, when you look at it on a fatality from a fatality standpoint, it's absurd. Um, NHTSA could change everything tomorrow, but what you're really talking about is I, th I think what we're really talking about is bringing in more vehicles into NCAP program because you're going to need to do multiple tests of vehicles and they need more money to do that. And it's you know, right now, I think they're testing, I want to say it's somewhere around 80 or so vehicles per year. You know, they're missing a lot of different parts of the fleet. They're missing, certainly missing some of the more expensive vehicles, some of these really heavy vehicles that we're seeing coming down the pike, like a Hummer EV probably wouldn't be tested. Um, 
And they need, you know, more funds to do that. And this has traditionally been suppressed financially from being able to go out and get really good biofidelity experts and get really good dummy research done. And that's why part of why it has been so slow is that, you know, the auto industry is lobbied to maintain constant low levels of funding for NHTSA for, you know, five decades now or more. So that's that really comes into play. Um, and I think Congress could help out a lot on, on that front. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong there, Michael. I mean, the Thor fifth, the biofidelic female, you know, it's passed its tests for yep. biofidelity. It passed them two years ago. So what's still being researched? I think what's still being researched is the repeatability and durability right. of the dummy. You know, does does every time you crash test it, does it break? You know, I mean, so that that, that is what they are still um, researching. Uh, but again, it's like women are dying. <laughs> Uh, women are dying um, at a disproportionate rate to men, and the technology exists to to address it. So, it's not yeah, I'm going to take issue with you a little bit, Michael. I think that yeah. there's a simpler solution, uh, which doesn't cost more money, which is to simply substitute all of the male ATDs with female ATDs, because whatever technology protects the female ATDs or the, the women in those positions is also going to protect men in those positions. So I, you know, from an engineering perspective, you take the most challenging situation and you put that in front of the test and make sure that the most challenging situations are satisfied rather than doing the easy stuff and just saying, that's all we can do because we ran out of money. Uh, so I, I think, you know, that stroke of the pen should just say, Get the men out of the way. Put the female dummies in here. I, I, I hate saying female dummies too, by the way. So I'm going to say female ATDs, but put the, you know, put the female model ATDs in here and let's just run the same tests. And then people like you and I, the men, they might start to complain about it a little bit and say, well, you know, we need to be represented too. But that's, <laughs> you know, that's just fit, turnabout is fair play. You know, that's a that's an interesting thought, Fred, that I hadn't thought about, you know, but the the urgency around this matter, um, it, it's it's not, you know, the, the argument that new cars are getting safer, you know, it's it, it portrays that, oh, maybe we should just slow down and this isn't an urgent problem. To the contrary, cars are getting heavier. Vehicles are getting heavier. So this this issue about the men striking and the women getting struck, the men drive heavier vehicles, the women drive smaller cars, vehicles in general are getting heavier. And so this disparity is going to cause more disproportionate death as, as we move forward. So in, in my mind, the problem's getting uh, worse, not better. Now, we agree 100%. We regularly talk about the problem of weight in vehicles. Um, but is it really, I mean, that simple of just replacing the, the type of dummies? I'm not afraid to say the word dummy or the ATDs. Is it, I mean, that actually sounds like an incredibly simple solution in my mind. I mean, these models exist. I mean, why not just swap that out? I mean, well, your, your, your words, why not is my words. Why not? Why, why not? The technology exists. It's not going to make the, 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 uh, the equity, it, it, it's not going to make the equity less equitable. It's certainly going to make it more equitable. Is it going to solve the problem? Probably not. <laughs> but but why not do something? Yeah, I mean, just the getting that data alone. I mean, if it's really, if it's, hey, we don't have to run multiple crash tests now because we have to do a, a, the male ATD dummy and the female ATD dummy. We can just do it all off of the female dummy and that will work. And what Fred's point was saying is, hey, if it's safe for this model, I mean, that will scale up and work for larger occupants. And with that, I think we should just only put child models in the front seat then because you can protect them, right? No? Anyone? Mm. Well, I think I think we should also put really tall dummies that represent <laughs> seniors in there as well, too, uh, just, I, you know, from my own uh, personal perspective. With uh, great the, the 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 Fred dummy, Fred uh, dummy, which is redundant, maybe, but still <laughs> great. So uh, we've we've hit on we've talked about the um, the argument that women buy smaller cars; they're not buying the Hummer EVs and, and whatnot. And we were just talking about um, that 
that being this is this is the issue women buy smaller cars i mean again i don't know i I have a small car um is that 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 doesn't strike me as being a very helpful argument there at all is this is the problem it's women need to buy bigger cars yeah no we need the smaller cars to be safe we need all cars to be safe for everybody (laughs) that's just the the point We've got disadvantaged classes at this point, um, which just makes it, it's out. It's just outrageous in today's day and age. And, you know, there's just multiple examples across, you know, unrelated sectors where things don't start to change until a rule requires it. Um, I mean, in my corporate world, you think about women on boards until NASDAQ instituted a rule that said you've got to have a certain number of, you know, diverse, diverse um, folks on your board. Boards didn't change. You know, NASDAQ institutes that rule and look at look at the tremendous progress that has been made in the diversity of the corporate boards in the United States in the last couple of years. You know, and. Is, you know, and, and Michael, back to your point, the airbag issue, the airbag was an issue. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, it was deploying and killing people and a, a quick change was made. Was it perfect? Was the mini was the mini male the perfect solution? Probably not. But but it was but it was there. It was done. It was, you know, it existed. Yeah. So it, it I mean, can- it really helped solve the issue and it was put into regulations and it worked um, and it was done relatively quickly versus some of the time frames we're seeing now, um, which suggests, you know, that NHTSA has had a lot of rulemaking struggles in the last couple of decades. They've always been a little slow, but they've really ground to a halt on a lot of things in the last decade where things like recall notification and really simple rules that could be put out quickly. Um, and, you know, updating the ATD standards, the dummy standards that they have generally takes them a very long time. But also it just makes us wonder how much effort, you know, how much effort are they really putting into that? What are their priorities in, as an agency? Are they, you know, are they prioritizing uh, making vehicles safe for everyone right now? Or, you know, like I think they might be, are they prioritizing fuel economy rulemakings and work on autonomous vehicles that aren't going to be here for another 30 years instead of taking care of the stuff that's on our road today? Um, We often see a lot of focus from NHTSA on you know, these pie in the sky projects like autonomous vehicles. Meanwhile, you know, level two and three vehicles like Teslas are killing people and nothing's being done about it. And you wonder, you know, if maybe the agency isn't, you know, putting the cart before the horse, looking a little too far into the future rather than focusing on the issues we have on the roads today. And right now, you know, the gender disparity and and the disparity between body types is a very big issue. Well, I think your the, point the, about, I, oh, go ahead, Brad. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, NHTSA, I think, sees itself as a cheerleading section for the automobile industry to a certain extent. Uh, you know, as you pointed out, Michael, the, all the cars, essentially all the cars now are getting five-star safety ratings. So I, I think that an issue for NHTSA, given that tradition, is that if they change to a radically different uh, model basis for the test, they're not going to show up all the cars as being all that wonderful, right? So there's going to be a PR issue associated with the fact that the cars all of a sudden are are not showing the same safety simply because they weren't designed to be showing the same safety with the same kind of, with a different kind of ATD that's in it. Um, I think that, you know, that's, could be a sleeper issue, but we do know that NHTSA in the past has been very sensitive to responding to the publicity needs and the support needs for the automobile industry, maybe to the exclusion of their charter uh, associated with personal safety. Yeah, I will say from a Verity Now perspective, I mean, we're we're all for the, you know, the AV, the autonomous vehicle, the, the automatic braking, you know, the we're, uh, com- for computer simulation around safety testing, we're, we're for all of that. We're, you know, because that is that's is progress. But we come back to that's great. But we have a bio biofidelic Thorfiff technology right now that could be implemented. Do it and yep. continue the work on all the other stuff. 
We're not against the other stuff. So this is one of these things where listeners, like every person listening to this knows at least one woman because you were born. Um, it's absolutely shocking to me that this is an issue. I mean, most people, I, I do not imagine they think that, oh, um, we've tested the car for a man who's five foot, 10, 175 pounds, uh, not for anybody else. And there's going to be some major issues there. And now, Beth, as you've pointed out, this is just a stroke of the pen from NHTSA. Now, the problem is, uh, how, what do, what do listeners do? I mean, NHTSA doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have a hotline. Is it contacting your Congress people to push this? Is it, you know, what does somebody do? Yeah, they can go to our website. They'll find some things, some some calls to action there that they can do. Um, help just add voice to it. Um, yes, sign on to some things. Push push your Congress person, representative, um, because we have congressional allies, many, 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 <laughs> um, who are trying to do what they can. It's not in their jurisdiction, but they're they're as I said, they've put things in the appropriations language. Uh, to encourage NHTSA to, again, commit to a fast timeline, develop a roadmap for the implementation, and publicize it and stick to it. Yeah, NHTSA no longer needs to research if women drive cars. We we, we, have, we have the data. Drive, and we do sit <laughs> in the driver's seat. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Uh, yeah, you can go to veritynow.org, V-E-R-I-T-Y-N-O-W.org. Uh, find out more. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add before we jump into the, the Tao of Fred? No, I thank you for your um, interest in the issue, exposure to the issue, depth on and knowledge of the issue. I commend you. Well, Thanks thank you, you so do. much for joining. This is. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Beth. It's thank very eye opening. So you can stick around and listen to Fred talk about stainless steel or you can run off <laughs> your choice. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody doesn't want a lecture on metallurgy. How how could that be? I, you know, and I asked for this too last week. This is all my mistake. So last week, you know, this Cybertruck thing's coming out and it's stainless steel. And there's this myth that stainless steel doesn't corrode. But you can tell that to the people who made my oven. And uh, it's just not true. I've seen it corrode. I, I It's got little rust spots on it. But I'm also not driving my oven at uh, 65 miles down the highway that's just been salted uh, with you know rock salt so fred stainless steel let's pretend there's a car we'll call it the stupid stupid 9000 it's wrapped <laughs> in stainless steel it's not painted by a guy named john delorean in belfast made by somebody else how, how does this does this have a crumple zone does stainless well, steel work Stainless steel. You've now entered uh, what is the steel? Oh, no. Uh, you, you take some uh, iron, you mix it with some coal or some charcoal, and you mix it all about. You, you do the hokey pokey. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, um, yeah thank you. Steel is carbon mixed or dissolved in iron, basically. That's how you start with it. <clears throat> and... Uh, depending on how much carbon is in it, you've got all different kinds of steels or pig irons or what have you, and I won't get into that. But if you have 11% of the mix is chromium, uh, that's generally considered the threshold for stainless steel. You can put in more. Um, you can also put in less because there's no government watchdog saying that your stove has got to have 11% chromium in it uh, in order to be qualified as stainless steel. So, you you know certainly nobody in china is ever going to put less than the optimum amount of chromium in the stainless steel before it's rolled into a uh, an oven front but there's a, a, another part of this is that the way it works is the dissolved chromium creates a very thin film of chromium oxide on the outside of the of oh ladies and gentlemen fred just froze frozen we're getting into chromium oxide oh actually wait sorry both of you guys just froze on me that was great so uh <laughs> chromium oxide chromium oxide very thin <laughs> protective layer like one or two molecules thick on the outside of the stainless steel that's why it that's why it doesn't rust um aluminum does the same thing there's a the very thin coating of aluminum oxide on the outside of aluminum which is why it doesn't corrode uh all that badly when it's exposed to water okay so that's 
that's fundamental to stainless steel. Now, if you put certain chemicals on the stainless steel, you will penetrate through the coating. And uh, one of the largest ones is chlorine. So if you were to use your uh, scrubbing bubbles with chlorine, with scrubbing bubbles with Clorox to clean the front of your stainless steel oven, then you're going to destroy the coating that's on it. And the, and the chlorine is going to react with the iron <clears throat> to form iron, chlor iron chloride, which then allows the water to penetrate through and attack the iron, turn it into rust. So that, so there's a couple of issues with your oven. You may be using scrubbing bubbles with Clorox to clean it, or you may just have substandard amount of, of, of chromium mixed into the iron and carbon to make the uh, stainless steel. But we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about the Tesla Cybertruck because that's <laughs> way more fun. Hey, I didn't say that. <clears throat> so, uh, Mr. Mr. You've heard of Elon Musk. He's the guy who's got a lot of interest in the Cybertruck. Uh, he's quoted as saying, the reason Cybertruck is so planar is that you can't stamp ultra hard 30X steel because it breaks the stamping press. End quote. So, so much wrong and perhaps a, a lot of hyperbole in there. So, let's take that apart a little bit. First of all, as far as I can tell, there's no grade of stainless steel that's called 30X. That's a that's a number that they made up. And um, but since X now stands for Twitter, I'm going to call it 30 Twitter stainless steel for the Ooh. purpose of this discussion. So, or just Twitter steel, if I should forget to put the 30 in there. So um, he says that it's really hard. So it's going to break the press. Well, hardness is different than strength. So they're, they're pretty much unrelated to each other. And you can make, in fact, stainless steel very hard by putting vanadium in it, which is why you'll sometimes see vanadium attached to the knife that you buy because they want it to be hard so it holds an edge for a long time. But so what? It's, you know, <laughs> the reason why they could do that demonstration where they hit it gently with a sledgehammer and it bounced back is not because it's hard. It's because the steel is thick. If you take any high-strength steel and hit it with comparable hammer, uh, it's going to bounce just back off. I mean, the extreme example, of course, would be a battleship that has very thick steel on the outside, not stainless steel, but it's very thick steel. And if you hit it with a cannonball, the cannonball is going to bounce off. It's got nothing to do with hardness. So a little bit of hyperbole there. Um, then he said, you can't stamp ultra-hard 30X steel because it breaks the stamping press. Well, you can't bend it either. And if you look at the at the front end of the Cybertruck, it's got some significant bends in it. So that means that it's probably got an austenitic, um, austenitic content. Now, there's a famous English expression that relates to the transition between martensite and austenite, which are two different phases of steel that uh, that you're familiar with, but I'm going to ask you what that expression is, and 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 here's the clue: the transition from martensite to austenite, which is a, a more pliable kind of steel, occurs at an elevated temperature. Uh, this is a, a very famous British quote that I very, think the very, Beatles made famous by saying, "I am the walrus." I am that's, the Eggman. That's a good guess. There's another Michael. You, you got a guess? He went to law school. He he, he doesn't even realize his microphone. Oh, he's going to know this expression. Okay, though. look at this. I was speaking caught between the frying pan and the fire, but I don't think that's it either. No, that's not it either. But, I think you but, made up all of these terms. Okay, Martin Sight. Beset, <laughs> I mean, this is like stuff you took out of a Marvel comic book. Oh no 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 no! Austenite, as you know, describes you guys a lot can of people just think in about Texas. It for a <laughs> You can think about it for a little bit. <laughs> That's obstinate. So if you look at the at the at the Twitter mobile, which is made from the <laughs> the thirty Twitter um, steel, then what you'll see is the front of it has got some pretty pretty dramatic curves in it, where the front panel comes over and it encases the headlights, and um, so that means that it in fact is malleable. It does have a lot of austenitic characteristics to it. And uh, and as you well know, you can preserve the austenitic characteristics of 
the stainless steel when it cools by putting in niobium and certain other uh, chemicals that that do that. But you know, I have that, niobium right? on my toast every morning. So, uh, <laughs> oh, Anthony, you're you're so good. Um, anyhow, because of that, it's not particularly hard, and it can easily be formed by bending. So the panels are actually being formed by something called a press break, which is just like a giant, uh, a giant squeezy thing that. <laughs> now you're finally it, speaking uh, some words I understand. Yeah, giant squeezy uh, break. There we go. Let's keep it to this level. It's kind of, of like a giant vice that has a channel in it, and and you can figure if you put something in it and you squeeze it hard, it's going to bend into that channel. Uh, that's what a press break is. Basically, a press break is the weak sister of a. Uh, a standard metal press that would form a body panel. So when he says that um, it breaks the stamping press, what he is really saying is they bought a really cheap press, <laughs> stamping press, and it, and it broke. It's got nothing to do with the characteristics of the metal. I think what he's really saying is he's not really an engineer, and I, but he'll... He's more than happy for people to keep believing that he's an engineer. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think that's right. There's uh, there's always a point in confusing people by making a hyperbolic comment. We've certainly seen a lot of that in public domain. <laughs> but anyway, um, and he talks about making it hard. So maybe it's cold rolled. People have talked about that as one way they could do it. He said, you know, they've rolled it many times. That makes it hard, and therefore it's strong. But so here's a, here's another question for you, and I'm going to come back to the, um, the famous expression later. But if if you have a material where the bending strength is about the same as the tensile strength, Ooh. and you bend it, what's likely to happen? It will snap. Yes. Yeah. You win. <laughs> you win. Yeah. So if so if in fact he what he's saying is it's been cold rolled so many times that it's very hard but what he's really saying is it's brittle and uh you know so is is that where he's headed I'm not sure time will tell but I want to make I want to make the point to our listeners that these are going to be extremely difficult to repair because normally when you have a, a dent in your vehicle and you go into a body shop what they do is they they bang it out with a hammer to get it as nice nice looking as they can realistically. Then they fill it in with some kind of putty or lead or some kind of material, and then they paint it so it looks nearly as good as new. You can't do that with these bodies with stainless steel because if you bang it out, it's going to look like it's banged out. This is an exercise you can try at home. Take one of your stainless steel pans, hit it with a hammer. There you go. Take that, hit it with a hammer, and then try to straighten it out and make it look new again. I just tried for a really long time. How did how did it go? I hurt my hand banging it against a stainless steel bottle. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what what are going to do? Your body type. (laughs) (laughs) That That is true. I am the type two size male dummy, female dummy. What am I? I don't know. 5%. 5%. Oh, man. Well, that sounds impressive. I'm 5%. I'm a 5%er. So so what's going to happen with these things? Is they're going to cut out a panel, put in a new panel, weld it into place? Then they have to grind the weld, and then they'll have to brush it so that it looks like the rest of the rest of the uh, stainless steel, which is used. Of course, birds have pooped on it. All kinds of things have happened. So, brand new stainless steel doesn't look like old stainless steel, right? It shows its history. Mm. But in welding, how do you how do you weld something? You put two pieces of you put two pieces of similar material together, and what do you do with the seam? Uh, you you melt something in between it. Yes, and when you melt it, you make it really hot, right? Oh, and when it's real hot. And when it's really hot, you're able to bend it, right? Because oh, it's no. gone into the austenitic phase. Ah, I learned the word austenitic. Hey, all right, great. Gone from martensite to austenite. And then, <laughs> you know, when you cool it properly, you can preserve some of the austenitic character. But that's the big clue for the famous ex- English expression that relates to the phase transition between austenite and martensite. It comes from the old horseshoe uh, days. Bend but not break. No, no, not that. Uh, I once was on a horse named Austinite. It kicked up right. its heels. You've it seen, gave me such a seen, come on. No, man. no, you've seen movies of the old days, right? When there was a blacksmith shop. 
Yeah. And they're making horseshoes. Yeah. And and what do they do? How do they make a horseshoe? A uh, guy puts on a leather outfit um, and he For, twirls his mustache. Forget the couture. Oh. <laughs> he stands uh, they take a, a forge. And he bangs it. Forge. There you go. You're heading in the right direction. Bangs it with and a hammer. What do they do in the forge? Forge things. They forge <laughs> a head. metal so that it can become bendable. Yes. Yes, Michael. And then what do they do with it? They cool the, it off once they get it into no, no, shape. No, no, Before right? they cool it off, what they do they bang do? on they, it? Really, they really, bang they on bang it. They bang on it, right? Yeah. And why do they bang on it at that particular point? Because it sounds cool. Because it's malleable at that point. Very good. Mm. And the expression related to that is? Mm. <laughs> starts with strike. <laughs> strike while the iron's hot. There you go. You got yeah! a winner. Woohoo. What would I so, win? You knew more about metallurgy than you thought you did. Anyway, the uh, there's a, uh, let me just say there's a lot of hyperbole associated with the marketing that's going along with the Cybertruck and the stainless steel. And to our listeners, beware. Make sure you got a well-stocked wallet if you're going to get one of these things. And you think that it might ever do what every other car in the world does, which is get dented over time. No. So real quick. So you mentioned oxides quite a few times in this. So I imagine this is a vehicle. It's a car. It will be used in the outside in nature and in nature on roads. They'll put down things like rock salt or the other de-icing elements. And that gets all over your car, not just underneath and affects your undercoating. What happens when the stuff hits the top of your car? Will that break apart some stuff? The chromium? Yeah, well, because what, what happens is Remember the chemistry. The no, no. the chromium has to oxidize in order for it to protect the stainless steel, right? Right. That's fundamental. So what happens when you're on the road? Sand gets kicked up, right? Things get abraded. Uh, you run into sticks. Whenever any abrasive hits the side of the vehicle, you're going to momentarily, at least, scrape off the protective chromium oxide coating. And so, if if you think of winter travel, right? What's on the road? Sand, which is abrasive, and salt, which right. has got chlorine in it. So it's it's a pretty much the perfect mix for destroying the surface finish of the of the um, stainless steel. And it's not and, like a standard car where you can you know you can reapply some sort of finish over it or you know waxing it because like every car obviously gets affected with this, but I don't see right. every car turning to rust. My my question is, since this is quote unquote stainless steel, is it going to break down easier in these winter conditions? It'll probably break down less rapidly than a car that is unprotected. Now, most cars today are very well protected. Right. They've got good paint on them. They've got undercoating. They've got all that stuff <laughs> in them. And you don't often see cars that are rusted out anymore. Um, you do still see them, but not as much. I don't think that there's any indication that the Cybertruck or the Twitter truck, as I like to call it, will rust spontaneously and rapidly when it's exposed to winter conditions. But it's not going to look new when it's not new. And right. it certainly will show its age. And it'll be very difficult to repair, very expensive to repair um, when the time comes to repair. Uh, you know, body shops are not set up right now to weld in brand new panels and do all the close work that's required to make it optically consistent with the rest of the vehicle, which is really what you're asking them to do when you say the Cybertruck's got a nice flat panel and it's beautiful and the sun glints off it just so. That's 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 hard to do in a repair situation. When you weld in a new panel, uh, the old panel is going to buckle, right? Because it's going to expand when it gets hot, and then it's when it cools down, it's going to contract because it's cooling down. This is a it's a difficult thing to do, and shops are not set up to do that. They may learn how to do it, but I, you know, my prediction is that you're going to be paying through the nose to fix these things. Okay. Well, here's a public safety announcement service announcement for our tech bro listeners yo tech bros okay i know you're microdosing right now but when you get your cyber truck yeah those kids in high school that made fun of you you you've won okay you've got it uh don't aim this vehicle at women okay i i know you know you're you're probably an incel you're probably uh got some issues uh don't aim them at women okay ever and uh 
you're not going to gain any friends from this vehicle. I, look, this is just my personal opinion, not necessarily the opinion of the Center for Auto Safety. Okay, Anthony, Anthony loves <laughs> bashing tech bros. <laughs> Yo, tech bros, because we're all microdosing. Uh, that was a that was that was very helpful, Fred. Thank you very much. I feel I know a little bit more about stainless steel. Um, okay, what's your takeaway about uh, scrubbing bubbles? <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I didn't use scrubbing bubbles on our stove. I, it was rusted when we moved into this place. It's not like a lot of rust, a little, little hit here and there. Um, and I've, I've used stainless steel cleaner in my previous life. So I know not to use scrubbing bubbles. Oh, you've been a bartender. Well, that's great. <laughs> no, I, I, I <laughs> no, I, I worked in a 7 Eleven for, from 12 to 20. So I, even better. You no, know, not better at all. He was uh, the guy under the hot dog machine that <laughs> turned the tr- crank to roll the hot dogs. Yeah. No, I was the guy at six in the morning, guys going, Hey, give me that one. I don't think that's food anymore. No, that's the one I want. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the damage? Uh, your colon. Your colon's a damage. Anyway, with that, let's move on to a handful of recalls and we'll let people um, get free with their life. Get free. free, free. Um, We got a handful of recalls and here's a fuel leak from damaged fuel tube. This one, I believe, just came. This is a Toyota. Yeah, this is one that popped up today. It just came up today. Exciting. Fresh off the press is 168,000 plus vehicles. Toyota's recalling certain 2022 to 2023 Tundra and Tundra hybrid electric vehicles. The plastic fuel tube routed near metallic brake lines may chafe against the brake lines. Hey, really? Oh, yeah. You put plastic next to metal. It's going to chafe. That's a shocker. Uh, Hey, owners, uh, contact Toyota customer support and they'll replace it for free. And that's going to be probably coming out. It looks like owners won't even get notified until... October 9th, but yeah. Oh, Toyota is currently preparing the remedy parts for this recall. So they haven't quite got everything together. So they're going to do a temporary measure for owners now. And it looks like you're going to have to go back in once they get everything together. Um, so it looks like a two-part repair to they're going to put out one to make sure that you're okay for now probably something in that general area that prevents the chafing that's going on um and then it looks like you're going to be headed back to your dealer twice for this one to get the final fix hey that's always fun um you know they're just gonna put some gold bond on it uh uh Front passenger airbag may deploy improperly oh that scares the hell out of me general motors uh, only 317 vehicles. That's pretty yeah, good. That's the it's the Bolt EVs, and it looks like they had a, a number of them that were that had the dashboard or the instrument panel installed. But there's one perforation missing. That if that isn't there, the airbag won't be able to deploy properly. Um, and so they're going to replace your instrument panel. That's great. That's only 300 and some odd vehicles. And it's on the yep. passenger side. And since we've learned only your wife sits on the passenger side, you know, just take your time with that repair. Uh, I'm kidding, people. Okay. Uh, last one. Inaccurate pedestrian warning sounds. Oh, this one sounds good. This is FMVSS, which we all know stands for Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard 141. Oh, look at that big smile on Michael's face. Oh, it's not his favorite one. All right. Uh, this is Mazda, 17,600 vehicles. This is, uh, they're recalling certain 2024 CX90 vehicles um, because they thought it's a stupid name. Software in the approaching vehicle audio system information sound box amplifier may be missing. What the hell? Huh? So in the little, uh, well, I mean, this is a new, a somewhat new federal motor vehicle safety standard that's that was actually, I think, just finalized within the last few years, and this is one of the very few recalls we've seen on it. It's basically the sound you're supposed to have at low speeds in a hybrid to alert pedestrians um, right. aren't working here. Oh. I love this. This is the little like whistler sounds or yep. things like that. Cause you, cause you don't hear the EV coming down to barrel down the road and hit you. That's um, it. Oh, I understand this one. Ooh, FM VSS 141. I guarantee we'll hear a lot about this one in the future. Uh, and that's, that's it for now. I think we're good. Everyone happy? No, not women because no. they're not being crash tested. Right. That, 
come out slightly wrong, but <laughs> um, hey, we want to <laughs> thank our special guest today, Beth Brook, uh, who is smart enough not to stick around for a discussion of metallurgy. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, I mean, mind blowing. Uh, I still just completely shocked that uh, they don't test for women driving cars. In safety things. So, in safety things? Wow. Coffee wearing you're, off. You're really falling off. You, you yeah, started I know. strong. I, it's going going downhill, gentlemen. Uh, thanks, listeners. Go to autosafety.org. Click that donate button. Subscribe to this podcast and your favorite app of your choice. They're available on every app imaginable, except for ones that just came out yesterday, maybe. Uh, tell all your friends. And uh, contact your Congress people and be like, yo, I know a woman. Make cars safer for them. Fred has a simple solution. And stroke of the pen. Get women in the driver women in the driver's seat. We've been trying for yeah, that for I, a long I time. I like that idea. Just swap it out. Give the give the women fifty years of advantages since the men have already had their time in the driver's seat, right? Yeah. You know, somebody somebody asked Ruth Bader Ginsburg how many men she thought should be in the Supreme Court or how many women she thought should be in the Supreme Court. And she said, They should all be women. I mean, you guys have had this for 200 years. Why don't you give us a turn? And, uh, you know, same thing is true for the same thing is true for the vehicles. Give the women a turn and design for them. Give them equal equal status. I'm all for it. And the more women take over, remember, the more we can sit around and scratch ourselves and, you know, just watch the world evolve. It's good for everybody. Ah, good scratching. Hmm. Thanks, listeners. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.